The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. G'day, how's it going? I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm the guy who writes his jokes, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 99 of The Big Picture for the week beginning March 19. Coming up on today's show, Mark, it's all about the love and rose petals and some facial hair. It's Beauty and the Beast remake. We've also got other movies, New Loving and The Space Between Us, as well as the top five most unlikely couples. You seeing a theme here? It's love all the way this week. Love, 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 love. G'day, Sam. Hello. Episode 99. I cannot believe it. I've only been here for about 12, <laughs> but I'm going to claim it but as it episode like 99. We're almost at 100. <laughs> wow, so that means in one week's time we'll be 100. Mark, how on earth are we going to turn 100? What kind of gift can we give people? Well, guys, what we're actually going to do, and I'm glad we got a chance to tell the audience, we are going to go away. Are you shouting us a cruise, Mark Hadley? <laughs> no, I'm taking you all the way to Monday night because we'll be shifting time slots. So what's actually going to happen is the big picture is finally on its 100th birthday realising its goal <laughs> of moving to the beginning of the week. And that's always been our goal. We made and it. now we're finally going to do it. So we'll be kicking off your week at 9pm Monday nights. Shift with us. Have a listen along as we set all the tone for the cultural items of that week. All right. Well, let's get to some even more important news than a time slot change. What is in cinemas this week, Ben? Gentlemen, what opened last Thursday is, I'm sure you're aware of this, Peppa Pig, my first cinema experience. Peppa's Australian Holiday. That's a full title. (laughs) Peppa Pig, my first cinema experience. Pepper's Australian Holiday. Can you imagine three-year-olds trying to write out what movie they want to go and see and then just <laughs> buy the third? Nah. And no. those, those three-year-olds already know this. It contains nine. Three-year-olds don't write. They type. Okay, well, sure. Okay. Don't, 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 don't interrupt what the three-year-olds already know. And what they know is there's nine new Peppa Pig stories in this uh, oh. new cinema experience, including four that are set in Australia where Peppa does everything from meet her new her friend, Kylie, a new friend? Or her friend, Kylie Kangaroo. And there's also her learning how to surf and throw a boomerang and go on a, go on a Barbie and all the kind of things that Peppa Pigs do when they visit Australia. <laughs> I don't think she goes on the Barbie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Back away. Back away. Peppa Pig, my first cinema experience. Peppa's Australian holiday. Not featured... I'll, I'll just... No. It's at cinemas this Thursday. Also, gentlemen, this coming Thursday, a movie that Sam Robinson has basically been waiting his entire life for, Power Rangers, the new version. Oh. Power Rangers. Well, the 1995 original film shot in Sydney was amazing. Uh, actually, actually be- it was shot in Kiama. Yeah, oh, and, and Sydney. And Both Sydney and Kiama, yes. Yeah. It's yeah. Bombo, Bombo you, Quarry. Yes. yes, yes right. so, yeah, I'm a big fan. You, you, you guys are the only fans of that. But the, no, the I'm new, a, there's I'm a new a version, of for some reason, of that 1990s <laughs> superhero show. For some reason, it's back. It now features Breaking Bad's Brian Cranston. <laughs> anyway, it's coming to cinemas this Thursday. We'll have a review on the show next week. Can't wait for that. What about the small screen, Mark? Okay, on the small screen, actually, there's an interesting twist uh, for the ABC on Tuesday this week. Tom Sampson puts his life on the line in Tom Sampson puts his life on the line. (laughs) So you might know Todd Sampson from the the Gruen transfer and all things Gruen that sort of followed around. He's an advertising guru. Well, in this six-part series, Sampson puts his faith in science, the ultimate test in a series of epic experiments, trusting his life to the laws of physics. In episode one, so you give you an idea. A Todd goes feet first into an inferno with only a dousing of water to protect him. (laughs) 
Good luck, I say, for you, mm-hmm. Todd. <laughs> there we go. If science works for you on that particular occasion, because there's no saving it in post. Right. Well, and also this week on Wednesday, um, SBS has one of my favourite series that I watched on DVD first before it actually got to Australian television, The Night Manager. I heard a lot about this. This is a brilliant series. Okay. So if you like your thrillers, if you're the sort of person who loves that sort of thrilling television, The Night Manager begins on SBS on Wednesday this week. Uh, this multi-award winning drama is based on the bestseller by John Le Carre. It's set in the height of the Arab Spring, so you know the changes in the Middle East, and there's a hotel manager played by Tom Hiddleston. You mean Kong Skull Islands, Tom Hiddleston? <laughs> <laughs> I believe he did this before his career lurched into, into Skull Island. He was actually you know, acting in Cairo. Uh, and basically, he receives a plea from this elegant, well-connected guest, and it throws him into this world of international crime and money laundering and, and dealing in weapons. And it's all at the arms of a fellow called Richard Robert, played by Hugh Laurie. So we haven't seen a lot of Hugh Laurie since House, uh, and he's back. The pair of them put in fantastic performances. Can't recommend it enough. This Wednesday, The Night Manager. All right, what about some entertainment news? Well, Sam, um, I believe you're about to uh, make a phone call for us because we've noticed um, Mm. around the city these really big promotional posters that are saying someone's been missing for 25 years. There's a number on the poster that we can call, so we're just going to try the number now. The number, 1300 816 776. You dial it and this is what you hear. That's oh, it. Sam, now for That's any, creepy. And we're leaving a message right now on this voicemail, whatever it is. Wow. For anyone who's seen the uh, fabulous 1990s TV program Twin Peaks, you would have recognized that music and would probably already recognize from the promotional posters around that this is actually uh, a marketing campaign for a return of the Twin Peaks TV series that's going to be on Stan, the streaming service from May this year. Um, aside from the possible uh, ickiness of a, of a promotional poster for a TV show that is talking about a missing person and kind of making a little bit light out of missing people and, that mm-hmm. and this, uh, this, in this case Laura Palmer, the lead character from the Twin Peaks TV series has been missing for 25 years. Aside from that this seems a little bit like marketing genius and has got me even more pumped than I was <laughs> about the return of Twin Peaks in May this year. Can't wait. Well, speaking about the end of the year, if I were to tell you that something was available that starred Ben Mendelsohn, Gary Oldman, and the final performance of John Hurt, don't you think you'd be in the door straight I away? I am already in the door. Okay, the Winston Churchill biopic, The Darkest Hour. So mm. basically, Winston Churchill's life, uh, in particular, a moment uh, as it follows Churchill's journey just after the days becoming uh, where he becomes Prime Minister and as he faces the daunting task of negotiating with Hitler and Nazi Germany. Look, it's going to be a fantastically cast piece. It's coming uh, in November this year. There's a piece of information that I'll be tapping down on the calendar. All right, true or false time. Mark Hadley, you got a question for us? Yes, indeed. Joel Edgerton stars in the new film Loving, which we'll be talking about later in the show. And it's all about interracial marriage in 1950s America. But how well do we know his filmography? That's one of the weird things that I think many people know that Joel Edgerton is a great Australian star, but don't realise just how much he's been in. So here is my true or false this week. Which of the following films was Joel Edgerton... Edgerton? That's my Australian accent. Uh, Which one was... Which of the films was Joel Edgerton in? Was he in A, The Great Gatsby, B, Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, or C, Zero Dark Thirty? 
Mm. Tune in later after our review. Okay. All right. Well, The Jungle Book went so well for Disney last year that they decided to do it all again, turning one of its cartoon classics into a live-action movie. This time, it's fairy tale musical Beauty and the Beast. Hermione Granger, or Emma Watson, is Belle, the village beauty whose odd relationship with the Beast doesn't just tell us something about love. It reveals a lot about how much our society has changed. Show me the girl. Look at her. What if she is the one? The one who'll break the spell. Hello. You can talk. Well, of course he can talk. Hello. Pleased to meet you. The master's not as terrible as he appears. Yeah, gentlemen, Emma Watson is Belle living in this sort of fairy tale French village, um, and she uh, ultimately gets whisked away into a castle where she's kidnapped by a beastly bloke played by Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey under a lot of um, prosthetics and CGI work. And then across the rest of the film, well, basically anyone who's seen Beauty and the Beast... Who doesn't know the story by now? ...knows the storyline by this point in time. So that's basically what happens in this new version of Beauty and the Beast. And so leading to my first question, what is Disney on about? I mean, are we just cranking out the remakes now? Yes, I think they're about money. That's, uh, like they, they definitely are, and, and and like fair play to them, I suppose. Like it's it's not like it's the first time in history that people have remade um, stories over and over again. That's 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 pretty common. Um, we'll see another Batman, another Spider-Man. That's that's exactly right. But it does seem a little bit lame that Disney is going through its own back catalogue, or it seems to be just working through every single film and then and bringing it back. Like Mary Poppins, another version's coming later this year. Um, Maleficent got kind of taken out from the Sleeping Beauty story. There was another version of Sin. Cinderella, mm. and as Sam mentioned at the start, Jungle Book. Uh, what's going on with Dinsey? Disney? I reckon it's just dollars, and they've recognised that they have a lot of classic stories. Can we tell them in another way, or using new technology, putting new actors? Sure, we can. So we're going to do it. Okay, so do they recycle, um, or do they give us something new? Is there any difference worth noting? The, the, there are a few new things. The the biggest one is that we've shifted from animation into live action. Although uh, a lot of the uh, side characters, and particularly a lot of those beloved ones from the animated film uh, Lumiere and uh, Mrs. Potts, and you know the the, the singing teapot and the candelabra. And that kind of thing in the Beast Castle where Belle is imprisoned. They're CGI now, not animated figures. Uh, mm. They've got voice. They're voiced by people like Ewan McGregor and uh, Emma Thompson and Ian McKellen. They do a fantastic job. So they're new in as much as the rendering of them is new. But by and large, the storyline and the songs are all the same. I think there are one or two new songs in this. But overall, it's pretty much exactly the same. And one of the bigger, newer things about this Beauty and the Beast that's been like highly controversial, but I think it's a little bit of a storm in a teacup, is the character of LeFou, who's played by Josh Gad in this film. Uh, he's like the, the offsider to Gaston, the, the kind of arrogant jerk um, here hero, quote-unquote, guy in this this sidekick, uh, being a being a homosexual character. Um, sure, so, LeFou is a homosexual yeah, character? Yeah, in, in this, like, more played up on screen. Um, sure, that, that happens, but it's not really kind of rammed down your throat or, or anything like that. It's, 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 there's a twist on it. It's clearly there to make an impact. But I think uh, some people have been talking... They've been overstating how much bearing it has on this new Beauty and the Beast, which I think, in short, gentlemen... 
is okay but not amazing. It's it, like I don't know why they really needed to do this, and I think a, a big issue with it is the two leads, Emma Watson and Dan Stevens. Basically, a lot of things I think you can get away with in animation and becomes more magical, or even the cheesiness you can kind of be uh, um, be polite towards up on screen when real people are doing it, or at least people under prosthetics or CGI, it's harder to forgive. And I found them a bit one-dimensional. Having no real chemistry didn't quite work. The leads in this. So I was a bit underwhelmed by them, but the side characters and the songs and the story will drag you along. Mm -hmm. Seems like a long time since the first film was released, 1991. So So long ago, Sam. So long, or 26 years. Yep. That's yeah, a long time. I'd, I'd only just finished university for the second time. Please. I was four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess, what is this trying to move into this new society that we're in now and looking at its approach to love in a new light? Uh, look, I, I, th- I think so. And I think the LeFou Le character is a des- definite example of that. But I think really what you're going to hear with this new Beauty and the Beast versus the old Beauty and the Beast is a demonstration that, yes, stories don't change that much. So the approach to love and the message of Beauty and the Beast is still the same. What what you're really seeing here is something of a social shift that's true so one of the most notable things about this new one versus the old one is if you put them side by side is it saying without trying to do it in a blaring way that society has somewhat changed its approach to love even though the core message of beauty and the beast doesn't really change doesn't really change so yeah the main points of contrast i think and the things that we like really mull over mm-hmm. uh you can actually get a bit of a slight sense of how society and what it thinks about love has changed, not necessarily what classic fairy tales or, or even traditionally what people have thought about love has changed. It's really society that's moved on. That's one of the more notable things about Beauty and the Beast. But otherwise, people, plenty of people go see it, but it's, it's not amazing. Beauty and the Beast stars Emma Watson as the beauty, Dan Stevens as the beast. I assume that's right. That's right. Yep, that's right. Luke Evans and Ewan McGregor. It opens this Thursday at cinemas all over this fair land. It's a tale as old as time and it's rated PG. Now, we'll be chatting about Loving shortly, uh, the film about interracial marriage in 1950s America, so another tack on love. Uh, but Joel Edgerton stars in that, and we figure that most people actually don't realise how much Joel Edgerton has done. So, did Joel Edgerton star in The Great Gatsby, A, B, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, or C, Zero Dark Thirty? Anyone? I, w- I want to say all. I'm, I'm pretty convinced of A and C, mm. and I think he was in Attack of the Clones as well. I want to say all. Gonna, he was definitely in A. Well, you're right, Ben. It's all. In fact, and that's the weird thing. Edgerton is just like completely unrecognised by so many Australians. I mean, they know he's there, yeah. but he's just been in so many of the big films the last 10 years or so. All right. Well, coming up on The Big Picture, you can be our guest in our delicious soundtrack segment and Mark investigates out-of-this-world relationships in the space between us. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Just before the break, uh, we were talking about Beauty and the Beast, this new version of the Disney animated classic. It's coming out cinemas on Thursday, so we thought it only obvious and entirely appropriate to invite you to listen to this. Small to say the least Both a little 
Ariana Grande and John Legend are singing on the soundtrack of Beauty and the Beast. And as you'd expect, blokes, when you go along to see this movie, you pretty much get all the songs that you already know and possibly love from the original film. Um, there's a and a lot of the numbers up on screen are presented very similarly to the. There's a lot of similarity between this and the original animated no one's musical. No mucking around with this formula, right? Particularly they? the be our guest sequence, I thought was very very reminiscent of what we saw in 991. But uh, what it encouraged me to want to do, and I encourage everybody now to go out and do this go into Google Tron type in the Simpsons see my vest and watch the clip for the way that the Simpsons took off the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack hours of entertainment if you just put that on repeat imagine your world is defined by a half dozen rooms a desert landscape and the colour red in your entire life you've only ever met 15 people and none of them are your age. Well, this is the setting for the new teen drama, The Space Between Us. A 16-year-old boy grows up on the planet Mars, an accidental member of Earth's first miniature colony, and dreams of one day making it to Earth. But is a home in the land of your dreams worth trading your life for? How do we know he's going to see her? Because she's the only person he knows on Earth, and he's a romantic. He tells her. 
Tell me where you're really from. Mars. Just because something sounds crazy doesn't mean it's not true. Whoa! What is that? It's just a horse. Where are we going? You wanted to see the world. What's your favorite thing about Earth? Rain. Johnny, come with me now. No. This is my life. Earth sends a mission to Mars, not just to visit, but to live. So six astronauts head off to pioneer a colony on a new world, but they end up taking one more passenger than they expected because astronaut Sarah Elliott, the lead astronaut, is unaware that she is pregnant and she dies giving birth to her son. Now, Gardner Elliott grows up the child of a team of scientists, you know, living an incredible life on Mars, but wondering all the while what he's missing out on on Earth. So he determines he's going to return home. He's going to go looking for his father, but really he's going to look for his humanity, you know, his connection with the world. And of course, his best friend Tulsa, a pen pal he's been corresponding with for years. But there's a fatal trade-off. You see, growing up in an environment where gravity is actually much less will affect the way that people develop. And so his heart is not actually going to be able to survive on Earth, or for that matter, his bone density and things like that. It's a brilliant moving story starring Asa Butterfield, you might remember him from Ender's Game, Britt Robertson, who is the lead in Tomorrowland, and the undeniably talented Gary Oldman. And to be honest, I can't understand why this film didn't get a larger release than Yeah, it's it not really showing it too many cinemas, is it? Um, the idea kind of that seems to be at the core of um, the space between us doesn't seem like a new one for Hollywood. I'm not just talking about like in relation to The Martian say with movies set in Mars and outer space and the, but more this idea that a person gives up life just for the chance of experiencing life. Yeah, that's this, not a new idea. No, no. This is there have been a few films about this. I think probably the most famous one that sort of fits this kind of category is the boy in the plastic bubble. Oh, I you mean know. the episode of Seinfeld? No, I don't mean <laughs> the that bubble one. boy. No, I don't mean the bubble boy. <laughs> no, bubble boy. No, <laughs> I mean I mean the one that John Travolta starred in. John Travolta. Yeah, in the boy in the plastic bubble. Yeah. It was about it was about a boy who basically had a condition where he was allergic to air, and so he had to live in this environment. Yep. and then he left in order because it was more important to experience life than to just keep living and that's really the theme I mean the the idea is actually about as old well it's certainly as old as Jesus story of the merchant and the pearl of the great price you know the idea that there are some things so valuable you would give up everything else for them and Gardner is trying to find his chance at real life by giving up his life and what about people back on Earth like Tulsa is pen pal and just kind of the world in general? How do they handle when Gardner comes back to Earth? Yeah, you think it would be like an international PR disaster or something for the space program. Boy is going to return, will probably die. But the reason why... <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, That's I know. not a great headline. I can't see how you can actually sell that. There are no T-shirts in that. <laughs> but the, the truth is uh, what has happened is they've, they've covered up his existence the entire time because it would have been a disaster. So he comes back and they're going to keep him on Earth in, in quarantine anyway. Uh, but he escapes to be with Tulsa, his pen pal, longtime friend. Uh, and so he, Tulsa doesn't actually know he's from Mars. And so there's this whole sort of thing where he's trying to tell her who he actually is the entire time through. And she's undeniably attracted to him, but she doesn't trust him because she can't believe what he's saying. Uh, and it's just one of those amazing moments where you've got a, a complex relationship working its way out through the film, all based on can you believe what somebody is saying to you? And, and I found that to be really entertaining. This uh, film it fits into our show about love. Does The Space Between Us tell us anything about love? 
Yeah, well, to begin with, it's it's pretty much a love story, uh, obviously between Gardner and Tulsa, but also weirdly between Gardner and Earth. What do you mean? Well, you see, Gardner comes back down and he's seeing everything for the first time. So he's going like, I can't believe you've got so many colours. Uh, he sees animals. He stops to examine bugs. Um, you know, there are more people than he's ever seen. He's only ever met fifteen people in his life, and he's thinking, you can talk to all these people. You can walk about. I can feel the wind on my face. Is a big moment for him. Mm. Uh, All these things that we take for granted. Very much so. In fact, there's this line that keeps getting repeated in the film, what's your favourite thing about Earth? That he starts asking people, what's your favourite thing about Earth? And that really got me thinking because I think we can go a long way in relationships if we just remember to be thankful. Mm. It's too easy to breeze over the good things we've got. I know I do it in my relationships. I'm forever just assuming on the people around me who've already proved themselves to me for years and years that they've almost faded a little. And you've got to stop and really count your blessings if you're going to progress relationships. That's one of the things that comes out of the film. The Space Between Us is rated M for mature themes and opened nationally last Thursday but as Mark said, you're going to have to look for it because it is in limited release uh, but it sounds like it's worth the effort. Is that right Mark? Indeed it is. It stars Asa Butterfield, Britt Robertson and Gary Oldman and it's rated M for mature themes. Gentlemen, um, Insights magazine and website are big supporters of the the big picture. Visit their site, insights.uca.org.au. Check out more reviews. Actually, later in the show, we've got one of Insights reviewers joining us for a vault selection of uh, a a loving relationship movie of a a little bit of a different kind. You'll, You'll hear that a little bit later on. But what happens when the love dies... Uh, you can go and find out if you go to insights.uca.org.au because I actually wrote an article for Insights about a woman's personal journey through her own separation and divorce and how she found help in the Christian course Divorce Care. That's at insights.uca.org.au. Coming up on The Big Picture, you tell us what are the loveliest lovey-dovey loved-up movies ever and, and Australian actor Joel Edgerton stars in new drama Loving, but should it win our affection? We'll tell you real soon. Welcome back to the show now, and a special welcome back to you if you're first joining us, which I guess, like, you're not really being welcomed back. We're, we're saying hello to you for the first time. <laughs> if you're just joining us at this stage of the show, you might have missed a very important update. This is episode 99, which means next week we're up to episode 100, which means, Mark? You've come on the cusp of a change to the big picture. We're actually transitioning, finally, to the Monday night slot we always dreamed of. So We're, we're sure we've really liked Sunday night. Sunday nights have been Sunday great nights. for us, but Monday... Five- Goodbye. We're out of here. We're going to... You've been great. We've loved you Sunday night, but Monday... You know what? Look, I I feel bad about this. Okay, everyone, come with us. You know, like, we're not going to leave you, but how could we leave you? Come with us. Oh, we're definitely not leaving you behind. Join us. Join us on Monday nights at 9pm where we'll be starting off the big picture and we'll be beginning your week so you can have a look at everything that's opening up in culture. Everything from TV and nothing from radio, (laughs) a bit from film, all that sort of stuff. Right. Pop culture from a Christian perspective. So what Monday night's a big picture? Starting next week, 9 p.m. All right, well, let's get back into uh, the big picture for this week. We're talking about love on the show all all this episode and uh, love and relationships. So for Press Record this week, we sent Ben out to ask you a most intimate question. What is the loveliest, lovey-dovey, loved-up movie you have ever seen? When I say loveliest movie, what do you think of? Red Dog. Red Dog? Why Red Dog? Because the dog loves his owner so much and he like travels around the world to find him. Ah, uh, How about you, sir? Loveliest movie? 
Uh, the Princess Bride. The Princess Bride, great choice. But explain to me why that conjures the idea of love in your head, apart from being about a princess and a bride. I think there's something unique about a guy that wants to uh, submit himself to the lady that he loves to the point where, uh, what is it that he says all the time? As you wish. I think that will serve you well in uh, future life if you're married. What about you, young man? When I say loveliest movie, what do you say? Dawnboy, because it was really good how he made a relationship with a pelican and it was his best friend and then the pelican died and I was so sad, so yeah. Stormboy is a particularly lovely movie. Love with a baby. What was the movie? Love with a baby. I've never seen that movie. Well, it's not all like romantic one. It's to kill a mockingbird. Kill a mockingbird? Now, even from the title, if people haven't seen it, they might not be thinking love, love, love. But why do you think of love when you think of to kill a mockingbird? I think it's because the character of Gregory Peck... You mean Atticus Finch, the character that Gregory Peck plays in the movie? That's right. And because he's so... When I think of love, I think of him being all lovely in that film. And not in a romantic way, but in his character and how lovely and gentle he is. So, sir, when I say a movie about love, a lovely dubby movie, loveliest movie you've ever seen, what do you think of? Uh, I think of the French film Amour. I've seen that as well. Now, that's a bit of a sombre not joyous occasion kind of movie right right. that's right it's a very melancholic film but i think it represents love even pushing through the hardest of times what do you think it told you ultimately about love i think it's that love is a practical thing i think when you make uh, promises especially in a marriage covenant that you've got to fulfill those promises a more shows a couple even persevering through the difficult uh, times um sleeping beauty sleeping beauty what happens in sleeping beauty that's so lovely she died and a man kissed her. Yeah. And then what happened when the man kissed her? She came alive. Wow. When I say love or lovey-dovey or lovely movie, what do you think of? The Notebook. Someone had to say it. I, I've, I've spoken to a number of people. I'm surprised it wasn't their first choice. But why is it your first choice? Because it's about unconditional love. Ah. Uh, how many times have you seen it? Too many to count. It's my favourite movie ever. And how about you? Any lovely movies come to mind? Notting Hill because they were so unlikely. The pairing of the characters that Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts play? Yeah, because she's a movie star and he's not. And yet they find each other. Now, while we're talking about love on the show this week, a few weeks ago, we spent a show devoted to race relations. You can visit thebigpicturewebsite.com. That's thebigpicturewebsite.com to listen to it. And we did that because new movies, Hidden Figures and Fences, deal with civil rights issues for African-American people. Well, this week on the show, loving is another window into the American struggle for equality as a white husband and his black wife are threatened by society. Richard Perry Loving being a white person and Mildred Jeter being a colored person did unlawfully cohabitate as man and wife. Richard! I believe this is a battle that could go all the way to the Supreme Court. We ain't hurting anybody. The state of Virginia will argue that it is unfair to bring children of mixed race into the world. Tell that woman to come out here. So amazingly, guys, this is based on a true story. There's so many amazing things about it, including the guy at the heart of it, Richard Loving. His surname's Loving. And it's a massive issue about who he can love and how that loving uh, actually plays out in in life. So this is uh, set back in 1958. And as that clip 
was pointing towards uh, what the movie boils down to is this relationship between Richard Loving, who's played by Joel Edgerton. He wants to marry Mildred Jetta, who's Ruth, played by an actress called Ruth Negger, who was nominated for a Best Actress Oscar for this performance. Uh, she's African-American. He's what Anglo-American, white American. They want to get married. They live in Virginia. They go across state lines to get married because at that time, across the states, there were various different state laws that prohibited interracial marriage. So depending on which state you lived in, you may or may not be able to marry interracially. And what then we see played out across the film loving is not just their relationship, but how their relationship had a massive impact across these laws in the states, and this, this took about the, the space of about a decade. No, well, there's been a lot of films about race relations, as Sam said in the intro. I mean, how does this one compare? This one's a lot more subdued. I, I, I found, um, given given the subject matter, and and given uh, you and I both talked about uh, hidden figures and fences in the past couple of weeks, and found even if they were a bit subtle, that they um, kind of uh, yelled out their messages a bit more strongly. Whereas I found with loving, yeah, the main thing I took away from it is very subdued, and I think it also demonstrates that even when you're telling a true life story, that's quite amazing. When you write it down on paper, when you describe it to people, you go, well, that's fascinating. That's uh, that's amazing that this happened to people. It's very sad that it happened to people it's terrible that people had to fight against such inequality etc etc you'd expect from a movie like that that you would just be almost instantly engrossed that that this is going to be somehow dramatic fireworks and all that kind of thing but on this occasion from an excellent writer and director called jeff nichols i found loving subdued almost to the point of not wanting to walk out or fall asleep but being almost amazed at how almost everyday and commonplace this story was. It didn't push things into manipulative territory. It doesn't go for massive crescendos of either fights or standoffs or whatever it might be. I'm presuming that he was following what actually happened to this couple so closely that he didn't actually overbake it or try to oversell it. Instead, yeah, it's almost gone the other way. And it's a really quite subdued occasion in the cinema. Loving. What about Al Joel Edgerton, how's he go? Al Joel, um, it's a really big role for for him, and and as you said in the earlier in the True or False, and pointing out some of the movies that he's been in in the last couple of years, like Great Gatsby and Zero Dark Thirty, he's been in some big stuff. Joel Edgerton, this is a, a, a major lead role in a in a cool, solid, strong American drama. He does well, but. But a little bit like the whole film overall, yeah, it feels so downplayed. I think deliberately so. Um, one of the interesting things I find when you watch a movie that you know is based on a true story, you kind of, and, but I don't know the true story that well. I'm presuming a lot of choices that are made are because this is what happened in real life. Mm-hmm. So some of the dramatic decisions that are going on in this film, such as how every day and how almost mundane this couple is and they don't they're not really fight, trying to fight for equality necessarily they just want their own relationship to be like they just want to live they just want to live by themselves so there's no you don't get things sort of pushed in any kind of particular direction and i think joel legend's performance is very similar where he's playing this really clenched jawed mumbly i don't say very much guy who loves his wife wants to look after her and her family that's about it so he does really well with that but everything from um, his kind of shock of blonde hair that he's got in the film to the way he carries himself and the way he talks can almost be a little bit distracting. But I've got to figure that this is because Richard Loving in real life was like this and they tried to do justice to his character. So for Joel Legend and for Ruth Negger, his offsider in this, the characters are fine and good, but I think the subdued nature of the whole story actually means that their performances don't scream out from the screen either, which depending on your perspective is good or bad as you go through the film. 
Now, this uh, film is based on something that happened in the 1960s to do with relationships. Is it saying anything about marriage now? It does seem to be an interesting sort of parallel, hey? It, it, it does, yeah. Given there's um, quote-unquote marriage equality debates going uh, on all across the world at the moment, and, and given some of the controversy that's come the way of Beauty and the Beast, which we talked about earlier in the show. So in cinemas at the moment, there are various uh, films about loving and relationships and marriage and who you can be with and all that kind of thing. You you might think that loving has been put on screen to make some kind of statement, but I, I didn't necessarily feel that way about it. I don't think it was engineered to speak about the marriage debate. I don't think it's been put up on screen now so it says something about marriage right now. An interesting thing it does point out about marriage uh, towards the end of this film is that it sort of states that marriage is a right. That it's like that's it's a human human right, which I I was a little bit challenged by. Given for a film that's so subdued, it kind of comes out with this this statement: like marriage was created by God and handed to humans is a great thing, a good thing that He's designed for people. But to start saying that it's a right, I think puts a little bit of pressure on people that it almost has to happen for you that you are entitled hmm. to this thing. You're living a lesser life. If that's you right. And my understanding of the way God's given this to humans is it's a gift and it's a good thing and it's a great thing if you are able to be married but if you aren't that's okay as well like you don't have to feel like you're lesser of a person or you somehow missed out on this gift that like is actually your right so i was a little bit miffed by that with loving again given it's such a subtle film well performed well told interesting part of history but i was surprised that it came down almost so heavy on that point Okay, well, Loving is now showing, but expected to be mainly available at Art House or smaller cinemas. It's rated PG for mild themes and coarse language and stars Joel Edgerton, Ruth Negger and Will Dalton. Coming up on The Big Picture, what is the go-to girl movie of the past 20 years? Well, we can tell you that. Plus, Mark is going to open his heart and share the top five most unlikely couples. Welcome back to the show and another public service announcement for everybody. Next week, we turn 100. It's episode 100 of The Big Picture. And Yay. here's our gift to you. We are moving to Monday nights from 9 p.m. Monday nights from 9. Join us, The Big Picture, episode 100, and for the next 100 episodes after that. Our show has been all about the many different ways that new movies are sharing the love and showing relationships of all sorts. Before we get to Mark's top five unlikely couples, our vault segment this week is one for that special bond enjoyed between gal pals. Yeah. We asked Insights reviewer Melissa Stewart, if you want to get your girl posse around for a top night of hanging out, what is the go-to girl movie? Oh, that's easy. Mean Girls. Mean Girls. Now, that was released... Remind me, how long ago? Um, over 10 years, so in 2004. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, what's it about? So Lindsay Lohan is the main character. She's just come back from Africa being homeschooled. And she goes to this American school. It's her first high school. And she encounters all these different stereotypes of different cliques. And she meets the Mean Girls. Apart from Lindsay Lohan being in Mean Girls, isn't Rachel McAdams in this as well? Oh, yes, she is Regina George. <laughs> Who's Regina George? Excuse my like poor memory of Mean Girls. Haven't seen it for a while. This obviously stood out to you. What's with Regina George? Regina George is the queen of Mean Girls. She is the top dog. Now, Melissa, you're telling me that this is the movie that you would put on if you got your mates all around and you were hanging out and sharing the love as gal pals. What is it about Mean Girls that had an impact on you? For me and for all my friends, like first of all, it was hilarious. It gave us all the one-liners is like you know you can't sit with us and on Wednesdays we only wear pink and uh, <laughs> I could go on but in terms of impact it really highlighted just the stereotypes that were in high schools and 
its ability to categorize different cliques and high school life in a way that was more real than other teen movies, you know, such as um, High School Musical that came out at the same time. It dealt with other issues as well, you know, more mature themes such as uh, sexuality and drugs and drinking. Those were the issues that we were dealing with at that time. That was the impact Mean Girls had on you and your friends. What about further than that? Do you think Mean Girls had an impact on popular culture? Oh, for sure. It kind of showed how, how you treat people and that was like the main thing of it because for Lindsay Lohan, she was trying to fit in to, you know, in this high school environment and she was kind of pushed to infiltrate the mean girls and be like them and kind of stoop to their level to, you know, get revenge for these other friends that she had. In that time, you can see the struggle she had. She actually became one of those mean girls and she was treating people so badly and by the time she found it, she'd lost her sense of herself and who she was before she, you know, came into that situation. I found it really great, like how you can see her struggle and towards the end of the movie, Lindsay Lohan's character um, finds forgiveness and reconciliation with her peers. And it kind of reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew, which loosely says, treat others how you want them to treat you. So are you willing to say that Mean Girls is one of the greatest teen movies of all time? 100%, hands down, the best teen movie. <laughs> That was Insights reviewer Melissa Stewart telling me what is her go-to girl movie. In short, Mean Girls. And one of our great fans, Insights Magazine, another one of our great supporters is Eternity Newspaper. One of the things we've loved over at Eternity News, eternitynews.com.au, is a video interview with artist Max Conlon. And he explains his involvement with our mob, God's Story. It's a new book of artworks created by Indigenous artists who are Christians. To find out more about why some of our Indigenous brothers and sisters wanted to celebrate God and Jesus in art, head over to eternitynews.com.au. Well, it is the 99th time we're going to do a top five. Well, you, so, you almost sound, you sounds excited about it, Sam. Come I'm on. excited. Oh, good. I, I'm, good. I'm just, I think, I, I don't know how we're going to top this for the 100th show next week. Oh, it's amazing. So I'm kind by, of just, uh, you know, expectations are low. By doing moment. 100 top fives in an hour. Wow. <laughs> I'm sure that'll get approved. Stay tuned. If you've yeah. got any suggestions you'd actually like to have on our top 100 show, head over to our Facebook page mm -hmm. for the big picture and you'll actually have your opportunity to contribute ideas for the 100th show. Why don't you program for a change? Give us a break. Please do. All right. Well, here's the top five for this week, Mark Hadley. This week, we're going to be looking at, well, we've been looking at love all the way through, all sorts of couples in all different forms, and I thought I would take us to the odd couple, the awkward couple, those that don't quite match or seem to spark off each other and give us many great cinematic moments. So let us begin. Five. So it's time to get the obvious one out of the way. In a list of top five odd couples, I'm going to begin with the odd couple. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. You know, it was yep. just obvious, wasn't it? So That's it had right. to be done. Okay, moving on to number four then. No, no, <laughs> I'm just thinking that, but there have been so many reiterations of the odd couple, okay? So even when you say the odd couple were one of the greatest odd couples on the screen, which odd couple are you talking about? Are you talking about the original guys from 1968, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau? Oh, you, how could we be talking about any other? Well, this is the weird thing because they remade their own role and just changed the name of the film, okay? They did Grumpy Old Men oh, yeah. in 1993. Yes. There they are again. Wasn't being there the a odd Grumpy couple. Old men. Yeah, there was. There's a mm. second one. I think they even went back for a third. I Grumpiest. Grumpier. When you think about it, that model has been used so many times. There's even the fishy version, you know, Marlon and Dory. 
<laughs> the grumpy old, the, the old odd couple in Finding Nemo. Okay, but my favourite, in all honesty, my favourite is the 1970 TV show. Um, you might you know oh, the Odd Couple TV show. Yeah, the Odd Couple TV show. Tony Randall uh, played Felix Unger, and Jack Klugman played Oscar Madison. And I don't know what it is about the da 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 sort of like soundtrack, but I think that just coloured in my childhood. <laughs> Coming home, that was an awesome theme. Yeah, and watching you know the Odd Couple and hanging around a bit for a bit of mash. You know, maybe with the goodies, <laughs> flip over to the ABC, watch some goodies, and then you know, that's pretty much it. So, number five. Four. Now, there's a whole genre of odd couple uh, that sort of sits inside of the police franchise, okay, if you like. It is. Police Academy? Yeah, no, the Buddy Cop movie. <laughs> oh, Buddy Cop, you yes. Know, the, I mean, there's heaps of them. There's 48 Hours from 1982. Tango and Cash. <laughs> you know, great. Uh, great 1989. Please don't tell classic. me that's at number four. No, it's not all bad boys, okay? You know, it's the same uh, sort of thing. It doesn't. It's, you know, it's not racially biased in any way. You've, you've got all <laughs> sorts of people who can do an odd couple Buddy Cop movie. But my favourite Buddy Cop movie has to be Lethal Weapon. Great choice. Yep. Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, um, uh, Murtagh and Riggs. Riggs and Murtagh. Yeah, that's, yep. I got that Riggs right. Riggs and Murtagh, I always yep. found that hard to sort of pronounce him. But there you go. The no, out-of-control cop and the cop who usually plays by the books, but he's uh, soon to about, re- about to retire. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, getting that right? Yeah. Yeah. We're on the edge here. I know that's every buddy cop story, but yeah, this particular one, it. yes. All I need is a few more days to my retirement. So I What thought, could possibly go wrong? Oh, no. Now they've sent me a, a loose cannon. <laughs> <laughs> In the shape of Mel Gibson. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yes, <yeah, so laughs> <holding up. laughs> Wow. Let's not reenact the entire film let's just move on <laughs> three well, when i think of odd couples okay i think also of the best of enemies you know there are there are a lot of films where the there is a strong relationship almost like a couple relationship between the hero and the villain okay i mean bilbo and smog right have a kind of a tater tate going on in the bottom of the of the lonely mountain you know they have a sort of a relationship a tater tate didn't you see have you seen the desolation of smog you know when they sort of chat I, I have I'm just the, the use of wordage tater tate you you mean this they're, is, they're kind of sparring it, or something is that what, what you mean no no that's it's French for, for just talking okay, okay. Yeah, sure okay. thank you this is what an education gets you okay. <laughs> or how about okay Hannibal you know and Clarissa out of oh. Silence of the Lambs do you know what I'm saying it's that that villain hero and there's yeah. this relationship they're an odd and couple and that's not at right. number three that's no 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 oh Sherlock and Moriarty Okay, the same sort of thing, particularly the, the most recent version, the Sherlock television series. Yes. You've got that sort of odd couple thing happening. Well, I think my favourite odd couple of all time in terms of villain hero has got to be Sigourney Weaver and the Queen Alien. Okay, don't you think like they're just... In the they Alien franchise. They, they can't get enough of each other. You know, they just seem to be able to... There they are in Aliens and then then ultimately, and I don't want to spoil this for everybody, but what the heck I will, you know, when she's eventually re- recreated genetically, now they're in the one body. Okay, you've got the... Oh, I don't uh, think I saw that installment the in the Alien one. franchise. Thanks yeah, very no, much. Worry, but not many an, people did. There's a fifth one coming out soon. So there's like worry. six, isn't there? They're yeah. up to? No, no, no. Fifth. Okay, I should anyway, keep it'll be coming soon. You're, you're counting the pretty, pretty. Let's not get into the whole <laughs> sci-fi law. Okay, but that said, so I feel like you know when you when you see the way they relate on screen, I think there's true emotional energy between them, even as they're trying to tear each other apart. A love there's hate a, relationship, Mark. Well, there's a lot of hate. I'll give you that. Let's move on. Two. So when you're looking at odd couples, you often have the best of friends set. 
okay, there are those guys who are just, you know, um, great friends, but are mm. so completely different. I'm thinking of characters like in Beaches, okay? You know, the two leads are just so different to each other, yet best of friends. Okay, or even think of Best in Show, okay? Oh. Yeah, there's the best of friends. You've got these weird dogs and their weirder owners, okay? Or maybe, um, you know, that ultimate of friendships, which is not at number one, but Kirk and Spock, okay? Yeah, <laughs> like you've got, they're, uh, they're different, and yeah, they're an odd phew. couple, yeah, they're together. Okay. Good. A top but, five that doesn't feature Star Trek in one of the numbers. Good. You're growing, Mark. You're growing. At episode person, 99, you're growing. As a person, I put in for my number two top odd couple, Napoleon Dynamite 2004, <laughs> Napoleon and Pedro. Okay. Are they not the craziest couple of friends you've ever met? Okay. John Hedder, who plays Napoleon Dynamite, who's just the weirdest guy you've ever met. And Pedro, played by John Grease, is that understated, you know, vote for Pedro, the guy who's... You know, the least likely class president ever, but it was probably going to get it thanks to his friend. I feel like that if you haven't seen Napoleon Dynamite, I think it gets a bit of stick every now and again. Funny film, go see that couple. One. And now I come to my favourite couple of all cinematic history, or my favourite odd couple. Okay, there's always, there's another dynamic that you often get in films. It's the father-son odd couple. You know, like dad is so completely different to son or or the mother-daughter connection. You know, it, Luke and Darth couldn't be any more different. <laughs> That's not my odd couple. But you know what I'm saying? Like there are mm, just odd yep. parental relationships, you know, or in Good Will Hunting, you get a kind of a parental relationship between, you know, Will and uh, Will Hunting and, and Sean. Um, Doc Emmett and Marty McFly, they're an odd... Is that number one? No, Uh. no, but, you know, you. this is one where you Uh. don't get to feature Back to the Future. (laughs) Okay, no, my favourite odd couple, father, daughter, mother, uh, sorry, father, you know, sibling, um, is Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine in Postcards from the Edge. Have you seen this? No, no, I haven't. You've got to see this film. Um, This is on my... People, pause for a moment. Okay. Have you got a pen... Handy. Is there a scrap of paper somewhere in the house? Why don't we put it into your phone? Okay, thanks. Thanks, Sam. I'm write this down. Oh, because old school. Yeah. Postcards from the Edge is on my top five must-see films. Ooh. It is a brilliant film, and all because of the relationship between Meryl Streep, who plays this sort of burnt-out actress, and her mother actress, who's uh, played by Shirley MacLaine, who is aged... Uh, and still considers herself to be something of a glory. And how um, Shirley MacLaine's character has always tried to steal the glory from her uh, daughter's life, but at the same time, how they love each other and struggle and get through together. I think you can't go better if you want both a laugh and also an endearing moment with Postcards from the Edge. Remember my 17th birthday party when you lifted your skirt up in front of all those I people? I did not lift my guy skirt. Michael. It twirled up! You only remember the bad stuff, don't you? What about the big band that I got to play at that party? Do you remember that? No! You only remember that my skirt accidentally twirled up! And you weren't wearing any underwear. Well... So it's risky. Is it Postcards from the Edge based on um, the true life of Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher? Yeah. Two mother daughter actor actresses that actually died recently. So th- th- this is actually based, I think, on a memoir Carrie Fisher wrote. So if you kind of want to get a sense of, of how Hollywood can play and turn people into odd couples, then yeah, go see Postcards in the, on the Edge. All right. Well, coming up on the show next week, a bit of a change of time slot, which you need to know about. That's right. We'll be on air 9 o'clock on Monday night with episode 100, where we might possibly feature none other than Power Rangers. Yes, There may be Power Rangers. Please tell me we'll be reliving my childhood next week. 
You can neither confirm nor deny. You'll have to chin up and power up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, well, everything is awesome because the Batman Lego movie will be there too. Everything is awesome too because we'll be turning 100. It'll be 9 o'clock on a Monday night. And I'll be Ben McKechn. I'll still be Mark Hadley. See you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production. Sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 